Okay. I, I was trying to get on it with my iPad and it didn't want to work. I would thought that would have been the easiest way because this I'm not clear how this microphone, how good it is. Oh, it's good. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, this is, I just wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about team and uh, the mission of team and your summer camps and this coronavirus, how is it, how it's affecting uh, the autism community and stuff and your advice on that. Um, but yeah, for those who don't know, Dr. Mark Yeager is the CEO and executive director of TEAM, which stands for Together Enhancing Autism Awareness in Mississippi. It's an organization that was formed to help enrich the lives of individuals with autism and not just Mississippi, but all over the United States and all over the world. They also have summer camp programs for children and adults with autism. I'm so excited to have him on my podcast. So I'm so excited about this. Um, so Dr. Yeager, as I mentioned before, just now, the overall mission of team is to help enrich the lives of individuals with autism and to help them reach their fullest potential and to provide resources for parents and professionals about autism. How do you think team and your summer camp programs have been able to fulfill that mission over the years and what have you learned along the way? Well, Cassidy, one of the things that we have to start with what we've learned is that uh, we've had to sort of uh, re, re, uh, uh, recreate ourselves many times over in the 20 plus years history of team now. Uh, you know, we did start out as one of the sort of one of the pioneer organizations in the United States. And, and um, since that time, uh, in the 1990s, a lot of other organizations have popped up, obviously, in, on state levels and national levels. And so we kind of focused our, um, kind of honed our focus down in to help to, to focus more on people in Mississippi. Um, we still are part of the national stage, and we still, uh, uh, you know, have a lot of interaction with national organizations and other organizations across the country. But I think the burden of us trying to play a bigger role now has kind of been relieved with other people uh, stepping up and doing things more locally for the people that are, um, you know, that, that can be better understand the local needs of where they are. Uh, one of the things that we've done over the years, though, is we've provided some guidance. Uh, I've, I've authored the Autism Bill of Rights many years ago, and, and I think that document has served as a kind of a guiding light for a, a lot of other um, organizations to begin to create which, which niche in the autism community they wanted to, to address. You know, one of the things that I've always been adamant about in routine is that we didn't really want to get into the to the weeds of specific treatments and and approaches and practices and disciplines. What we really wanted to be was someone that could help provide informed information to families and, and individuals who were seeking it out. So we, we really don't take a stance on on supporting any certain types of uh, programs necessarily, except obviously the ones that we have, which is really our summer camp program and some of our uh, 
many of those programs that we do for church programs and, and other areas that, that want to learn more about autism and how their mission might can better meet the needs of, of uh, people with autism in their communities of all ages. So that's one of the things, too, that I think really kind of makes us a little unique, and that's that we um, continue to try to focus what we do for people at, at any age. The camp really came out of an idea that we needed something for, for kids to do during the summer. And um, and from there, you know, 20 years later now, we, we are still having camps and they stay full. And um, so it's been, a, it's been an adventure uh, in and of itself, just trying to create camps and opportunities that most people believe that people with autism really aren't interested in. And we obviously have proven that to be not true because we... Uh, we have lots of folks that come to our camps, yourself included, that know what we do yeah. and how much fun it can be. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, that's awesome. Um, and another thing is, in what areas do you think is important for adults with autism to have support in? And do you think adult support services should be increased? Well, I, I think su supports for people of, uh, of all ages who are on the yeah. spectrum need to be in increased. So that's kind of an e easy answer. We, we, we have a tendency to sort of focus on certain types of services as opposed to looking at, at an individual as um, what they might want for their life. When it comes to adults, I think one of the things that we really are lacking in all across the United States is helping people with autism realize their own dreams. And that might be a, a wide range of things. It might be simply how to, um, to better meet uh, changing uh, environments as they grow older. It could be that their desire to have a job and all the things that comes along with being able to have that job and maintain that job. It could be living on their own and, yeah. or, and having a family and understanding how to, how to be a parent or how to be a, a, a spouse. So I, I think those supports are, are lacking in the autism community. And I think the way to do that is to build community where people can share their uh, successes and their failures. Uh, failures are good teachers and we need to understand how they, how they can help us uh, uh, move people forward. I, I think probably the thing that I hear more than anything else, though, is a desire for people to have work and have a, have the things in their life that, that gives their uh, life a daily meaning and something to look forward to and something to be a part of and something to make a difference in. Yeah, that's I totally agree about that. Um, and another question I'm seeing more females with autism now more than ever. It's very common for females to have a later diagnosis than males. Why do you think that is? And what are your thoughts on that? Well, this is an interesting phenomenon within the autism diagnostic community. Um, you know, back in the 80s, when I first became involved in the autism community, you know, there, a lot of the literature, even at that date, it, during that, that time, discussed a great deal of the belief that both uh, Asperger as well as Kanner had that autism may be an only male, um, you know, set of circumstances. And as a matter of fact, Asperger even mm -hmm. included in, in his writings that, it would, that females would not be affected by Asperger syndrome. Uh, we know that 
not the case yeah. anymore. We 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 didn't. Um, you know, those 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 studies were done on a um, on a very small sample, and obviously since the 1980s, well, the 1943, and so was Asperger. So by the 80s, we were still believing that, but by the, as the 80s and we get moved into the 90s, we began to understand just how um, uh, inaccurate that that initial perception was by those the, the two fathers of the autism uh, community, I guess you would say. You know, one of the things I think that, that makes it difficult is that uh, regardless of what you'll read in a lot of the literature, uh, unless you're talking about the very classically diagnosed person with autism, um, males and females present their the manifestations of autism differently most often. Males have a tendency more overt or outward with those uh, presentations or those manifestations. And females have a tendency to be a little more covert or, or less obvious about some of the things that we that we uh, use as diagnostic criteria. We've gotten better at that. And what we realize now is that every single criteria, just like autism itself, has a pretty wide range of things that we look for that can help us identify a person as either being uh, being on the autism spectrum or not, and so I think that that as we've as we've gotten better, and we've actually gotten better because the the population as a whole has aged as well too, and so the best resource that we could have to help us better understand the criteria that we're constantly trying to evolve were the people with autism themselves, and and when you get a number of people that you can actually sit down and talk to and get that internal perspective, whether they be male or female, we become much better at being able to, to just determine whether or not the criteria is met or not. So I think together we've improved that um, as a community, not just the, the uh, people like myself, the professionals in the field, but uh, along with people who are indeed diagnosed properly on the autism spectrum, as collaboratively have improved that. And I think that's affected um, both males and females, but maybe more so the female population than the male because we have a better understanding now of some of the things that we might look for that um, uh, in, in its presentation that might would be different than what we might would see in a large number of males. Now that doesn't include the group that are that show the classic symptoms, even those symptoms that classically would defined by Canner himself. Um, that males and females present very, very similarly, obviously, in that in that group of the spectrum. But when we start talking about um, uh, other folks that have a lot of language and a lot of interest and a lot of flexibility and those kinds of things, it gets a little more complicated. So I think we've done a good job as a community moving it forward. I think we've still got a lot to do, but I think we've done a good job working together to help improve those uh, um, those perceptions as well as understanding the the things that we need to be looking for and addressing. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, also, there's some similarities to autism and nonverbal learning disabilities. Tell us about those similarities and the differences. Why are they so similar? Well, that's an interesting question, Cassidy, to be real honest with you, because in the autism community, there's a lot of controversy about the nonverbal learning disability Um category as a diagnosis in and of itself. I mean, it's not part of the diagnostic lexicon that we use now uh, based on 
um, our DSM. I mean, it's just not part of that. Uh, I, I, I always get a little bit leery when you have uh, groups of people that take a very specific interest in particular symptoms or, or features of a larger group and begins to try to parse them down into something and then call it something else. And the reason that always concerns me yeah. is because um, what we see is that people are, are, are beginning to move and say, well, this isn't autism. It could be the NVD or diagnosis or nonverbal learning disability. It could be that. Because that's very, both of them have a, a huge executive functioning component to it, which makes them, makes both, both anybody that they're saying fits in those categories is being very socially awkward. But at the same time, they have a lot of verbal skills. And the name itself, nonverbal, kind of misleads because it really has nothing to do with the person being nonverbal. It has to do with this disability doesn't affect the, their verbal ability to express themselves. However, they may be very socially awkward. Here's, here's my big concern, though. So those are the similarities, and and, and, and there's the, the, the differences are hard to determine because where do you draw the line and say this person has the criteria that meets an NBLD diagnosis, but there are the pieces that may fit under the other diagnostic group or diagnostic features, and we're not looking at the wide range of how those might present and therefore not be right with the diagnosis, and maybe maybe creating an issue where a family can not access services because right now um, people with uh, autism have a particular access to different services that they, that, that are there for them by virtue of the fact that they have a diagnosis of an autism spectrum disorder. And if we go back and we say, well, somebody doesn't have autism, they have nonverbal learning disability, then suddenly they don't qualify for those same services. And that's unfortunate for, um, for those individuals. The flip side of that is that if they really shouldn't be on the autism spectrum, then, and, but they have some of these particular um, features that kind of look like what we thought autism was, but they don't meet all the criteria, then what exactly are we uh, looking at and what do we need to address? And that's kind of how the nonverbal learning disability thing sort of started because we're meeting all the criteria. And this became a lot more, um, I guess, a lot more focused upon when the DSM-5 excluded Asperger's syndrome now as a diagnosis in the United States. So people were looking for where do the people that don't fit the autism spectrum diagnostic cr uh, criteria, where do they fit uh, under this under the diagnostic category? And so many of those people have found themselves in the nonverbal community. I think that one of the things that's kind of fascinating about the nonverbal learning disability is um, the definition itself that's, uh, that's put out by the uh, nonverbal uh, learning disability project. And that definition is, is nonverbal learning disability is a complicated and poorly understood social and spatial learning disability. And I think that's not un understated, poorly understood. Um, and I, I think that maybe in the future, as we begin to understand more and more and more about it, we might get better at providing support. Right now, the only support those people would uh, be available to would be in, when they're in their regular school program. And once they leave school, they would be completely excluded from any kind of services that would extend past a past high school. So my big concern is, is that, is that we don't need to jump into another category that doesn't have the right supports 
but we do need to continue to investigate it to better understand our, is this just a subset under autism or is it something completely different? I think those answers are yet to be, uh, be determined. So we'll see, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, that's very informative. Um, and also, it's a crazy time for our country right now with the coronavirus. How do you think that it's affecting the autism community? And what do you recommend individuals with autism to do during this stressful time and change of t- routine? Well, I, you know, I've obviously been thinking about this a lot during this, and I'm in touch with family members and individuals that are asking very similar questions, not necessarily in this general sense, but more specific things. You know, none of us really know what all this is really about and, and, and where it's going to take us. I think the thing that I want to do is I want to ensure people that um, this too will pass and we'll get to, to our, our footing and we'll know uh, what, what we learned from this process and how we'll move forward and things will get back to a, uh, 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 maybe a, a new uh, normal for our daily routines, but um, I think that's uh, I think that's a little bit away from this this recording time. I know that a lot of my friends yeah. with autism have a difficult time in understanding uh, a change in their own routine, and maybe can't understand why why we can't do the same things we've been doing. And I know that I've had families express to me that their young kids can't understand why they can't go to school, why they can't, why, why these things aren't happening. And for, for some children, that's very difficult to, to help them realize because it's just, it, it, this is just so unique that when, when the bigger bulk of the people in the, United, in, in the United States and around the world don't really know, then we don't know how to impart that knowledge someone who has a difficult time sometimes understanding change. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things. I, I, I think the best way that a family can can approach this, uh, though, is most families understand what routines work during times that they are together that is similar to this. So reflect back on, on um, uh, routines that they might use during the summertime when kids are out of school or on the weekend. And even though you can't go places like we typically can, one of the things we can do is think logically and say, okay, on the weekend, this view, this usually works. During the summer, this usually works. And um, try to plug that in to create some sense of, of, uh, of I guess, familiarity for a person to be able to, to cope with this. I, I think that that we're learning a lot right now. And I think once we get, um, based on what, what I'm hearing and what other people are telling me, once we get to the point where we have reliable treatments, then we can begin to move forward and begin to open up movement and regular routines and those kinds of things. But it's, uh, it, 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 it is a very crazy time. You said it, you said it very well. A, a crazy time for us, mm-hmm. not only in this country, but all around the world. And I, I'm talking to some of my friends that are over in Ireland and they're having the, you know, they're having the same complications, the same challenges. So it's not just us. Um, we'll, yeah. I think we'll get there. And it's just a matter of understanding that it's temporary and um, uh, pay attention. But at the same time, uh, you know, use common sense and apply the things that you know have worked in, in similar shutdown periods. Um, because one of the things that families of, 
uh, people with autism know is isolation and and um, routines that are very different from the typical family. And so when you think about that, maybe they have some tools that typical families don't have, which maybe can help them cope with this better than the typical families are. And so I, I think we just got to not panic and, and capture those moments and use those to our advantage. That's great advice, Dr. Yeager. Um, final question. I know it's a crazy time right now with uh, the coronavirus, but what are plans for Autism Awareness Month? And are y'all still planning on uh, anything for April for Autism Awareness Month? Well, the events that we typically have in April have been pushed back tentatively yeah. to May now. Um, because we want to act responsibly and in accordance to what you know what the expectations by by community leadership is as well too. So we're going to play that by ear. We uh we have talked and we have intentions of possibly uh, just trying to do like everybody else does, and that is have a more uh, a larger digital footprint of things that we might can share uh, online and through our, our Facebook page and website and those kinds of things. Um, it's just difficult to do the thing that we normally do, and it's difficult to do the things that we want to do, um, even impossible for that matter right now under the, certain, under the current circumstances. We do hope, however, that you know by, by June, uh, we should have some expectation of what it is that, that people need to be doing to get back to life. And then if that happens, then we still want to go forward with our summer camp program. So we encourage people to uh, register their kids and, and adults and uh, register themselves whichever way they do that and, and make sure that they have a spot you know if, if we have to we may reduce the number of weeks uh, and, and just tighten up the schedule and um, but, but we want to provide a summer camp this summer because we uh, we know especially after this long quarantine period uh, families really are going to need a rest many families will need a respite uh, that's not true of all families, but many of our families really, really rely on this summer break for them to be able to just kind of catch their breath. And we want, we want, we don't want to yeah. uh, sort of pull the plug on it too fast, and and then not be able to get it, pull it back together. So we think that we'll be able to have summer camp in some format. It may be with some some changes, but I think we'll be able to. Uh, as far as what we'll be doing during April activities, we'll. We're trying to keep posted to our teaam.org and our Facebook page of Team Autism, and we'll uh, we'll be doing some things there to help the community in a, as a whole better understand autism. Oh, that sounds great. Um, so so thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Um, very informative. So. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm I was so excited when you agreed to to be on my podcast. So well, you're welcome. But thank you. Thank you. Well, I guess I'll talk to you later and uh thank you for doing this. All right, you're welcome and have a great day. You too. Bye bye.